All right. So hello, everyone. Welcome to the Brand Your Practice podcast, where you get to learn about branding, marketing, and growing your private practice from other private practice owners. I'm Brent Stutzman, and I hope you can take, borrow, or even steal something away from these podcasts to grow your own private practice. So be sure to subscribe uh, so you know when the next uh, podcast is going to be released. Today, I'm joined by Alexandra Hare. She's the owner and founder of Optimum Joy Clinical Counseling in downtown Chicago, down in the loop. Alex is a licensed clinical professional counselor and a registered play therapist. Alex, it's good to have you on the show. Thanks, Brent. I'm excited to be here. Now, Alex, I have experienced you as someone uh, who hustles. Uh, as I watched you opening up Optimum Joy, you're bootstrapping everything, you're getting the word out, and I just stood back and thought, this private practice is going to be a success. Uh, but not every therapist hustles like you, not every private practice owner invests in the time to grow a network. So where did you learn this work ethic of just hustling? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. You know, um, I think a lot of times I actually attribute it to having a strong Eastern European mother who actually like growing up, she um, she owned uh, basically thrift stores, consignment stores. And um, you know what? It might actually have been child labor when I think back to it. <laughs> but all of us girls, I'm one of four. I'm one of four girls and we all. Um, from like a young age worked there. And I think just like seeing uh, like a modeling of what it looked like to be a woman who owned a business and worked probably, I think from there, honestly. So what was that like to work in a thrift store as a kid? Um, You know what? Um, I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't have the best work ethic back then. <laughs> By far out of all of us girls, I was um the lazy one that even when it came to like cleaning the kitchen after dinner, I was like, Oh, I think I have a stomach ache. And I would just kind of disappear with like a box of cheese it somewhere while everybody else cleaned the kitchen. So that's a great story. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that makes sense because when I when I saw you open this up, I saw you like super focused and you were just hustling, getting things done. So I want you to take me back to the beginning of Optimum Joy. That was just just a couple years ago, right? Like. Uh, how did you decide on that name and the clients you were looking to serve? Yeah, I mean, the name is a little bit of a personal connection and like a theoretical concept. So my middle name is actually Joy. And um, I I think when I was, you know, it was a really interesting time in my life because I was essentially really burnt out working in community mental health, which I loved. I love community mental health. But I was super burnt out. And I was living in a six by six closet, essentially, with my sister in uh, here in Chicago. And I think that they were like, Alex, you must be going crazy uh, as I was trying to, like, think <laughs> up and start this thing. But um, we would always throw around some names. And I think that Joy, you know, I read somewhere it's like, oh, yeah, you shouldn't name your business after your own name. But then also Joy seems like a pretty good concept in therapy and stuff. So I think it has like a personal connection to me and my own journey with joy. And also I think it's important, like no matter what the circumstances are for people, I think counseling and therapy is something that helps people realize how to be joyful despite circumstances. So, and then yeah. ideal client, I think being in Chicago is a lot of working professionals who um, want to be multiple things in their life. So so that's the kind of the focus you're like, I'm going to work out, I'm going to work, you know, reach out to these burned out working professionals. 
you know, why did you decide the loop? I mean, you were like right in the heart of the loop. Yeah. Well, honestly, I did a little bit of uh, like market research. I don't know. You can kind of loosely <laughs> define that. I actually got on psychology today and emailed a bunch of different providers in different neighborhoods that either had a loop location or a neighborhood location and just said, hey, I'm a therapist looking to kind of put down some roots here in Chicago. I'm curious. Um, what's your experience been like having an office in that neighborhood? And and some people answered, some people didn't. But by far, the consistent answer is my loop office is the busiest um, out of any of their offices. So that was just something I was like, well, that then that's like where we need to be. And you have essentially the suburbs and the neighborhoods of Chicago all convening on a daily basis downtown into the loop. That's right. Yeah. Before the pandemic, that was absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. We're kind of reevaluating some things now that COVID has hit. We're still like 99% virtual essentially, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, maybe we can talk a little bit more about that because I think, you know, at the end of the day, I, um, there's like, no one's rested. No one is coming out of the pandemic rested. And then you have the therapists who are not rested and now they have to essentially hold the anxiety and help other, you know, their patients work through this. Like just burnout is just something to even, I think just watch for as a private practice owner. And just how do you care for your own clinicians who are burned out and carrying other people's burned outness? Um, so yeah, that's, that's something we could talk about. Maybe that's another, maybe another podcast. Um, I'm curious, what are some of the marketing tactics that you did and the ones that you found helpful as you were getting ready to launch Optimum Joy and maybe some things that are working for you now? Yeah, well, at the formation of it, it feels like forever ago. It was back in um, essentially like the very beginning of 2017. So it has been a few years now, but I something that um, maybe did and did not work is I joined what's called a BNI group, Business Networking International. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting. I don't think a lot of therapists had done or were doing that, at least at that point in time. And it immediately, I think, just connected me with like different professionals in Chicago. But I think that um, from that perspective, you have to kind of enter those relationships thinking that this is more of kind of maybe a long term relationship than like a, I meet somebody, they refer somebody to me tomorrow, you know, Um mm -hmm. So I really just use that group that I essentially paid to belong to, to um, just to continue to meet with people and be like, well, who else should I meet with? And anybody that was really willing to just like sit down and hear like what I do and to tell them and like hear what they do. Um, I just kind of looked at it from I'm trying to develop long term relationships so that when or if something happens in someone's life, they think, oh, I know Alex. She's a therapist. Um, yeah. Now it's a lot of kind of word of mouth. Um, a lot of churches in Chicago refer to us because we have um, some like spirituality and faith integration pieces. But also, um, you know, Brent, actually, you're the one who helped me set up with like AdWords as a Google mm -hmm. AdWords as a campaign. We've been really successful with that um, through Brand nice. Your Practice. Yeah. So we do a variety of things. But anybody who's willing to hear me talk about what we do, I'm always just kind of like, this is what we do. And it's great, you know? So <laughs> Yeah. Well, you touched on two things, something that I, I talk to my clients a lot, and I think is important when you're marketing. There's really, uh, and I actually get this from uh, Russell Brunson. Uh, he talks about when it's marketing, uh, there's two ways you can go about marketing. You can earn people's attention or you can buy people's attention. And it sounds like the first part, networking, is really earning people's attention, spending time, getting to know them. 
uh, nurturing that. And then you can buy people's attention, meaning you can do ads, Facebook ads, Google ads, but buying that attention means you're showing up, you're able to show up when they need your services the most. And really having both of those working together at the same time can be really powerful and can really help grow a private practice. You know, this this research is old. So I loosely quote, but I remember reading somewhere that 70% of people find their therapist online. And then the other, you know, what, like 25% is like word of mouth and who knows what the other 5% is. But essentially, um, we work really hard, each therapist we hire. So we're a staff of 15 right now, including therapists and support staff. And yeah, it's really been, um, you know, if anything, COVID has allowed us to outgrow our office space in a way, which has been kind of an interesting uh, yeah. concept to scale. But I think that it's really important to brand every single individual therapist as they come into the practice and give them a strong online presence that facilitates their individual yeah. caseload growth and the group growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, man, you're right on both of those. Um, it's still true for uh, local, let's see. I think I saw 88% of all in-store purchases, local business purchases, 88% of those actually start online. The research starts online and then they go and purchase locally. And that just blows my mind, but it's it's so important to have that local presence in some ways. And the other thing is um, uh, you touched on, uh, now I'm trying to remember what that was, <laughs> presence and then we're going to try to, Individual branding, maybe? Yeah, the branding's yeah, really important. Oh, yeah, yeah. The individual branding is that everyone has their own set of skills. And, you know, at the end of the day, people are looking for specialists. I mean, I use the analogy, if you had a lung problem, you're not going to go to a neuro doctor, right? I'm sure they know a little bit about lungs and maybe how they can help, but you're not, they're not, you don't want that doctor opening you up and doing lung surgery on you. So people want to, they, and they will actually pay for those expertise. So the way you can position yourself uh, and, and branding your clinicians is really important. And those pages sell themselves. Oh, this is what we're going to say that the private nature of, of therapy, right? So it's similar to like divorce lawyers. Like you don't go to your neighbor and like, Hey, uh, do you know a good divorce lawyer? <laughs> like, that could be an awkward conversation. Same thing as like, you know, I'm really struggling with depression. Neighbor, do you know a good counselor that helps with it? You know, it's just, so because of the private nature of counseling, that research starts online. So you want to be able to have a great and strong online presence for that. So it sounds like, I mean, 15? I mean, wow. <laughs> just a couple. Of- 13 essentially are therapists and then two support staff. So, but Yeah. Well, I was going to talk to you about this. So yeah, tell me more or a little bit about the structure of Optimum Joy and, and, and how you have that worked out. Yeah, you know, pretty quickly. So I, um, I always, at the very formation of Optimum Joy, wanted it to be a group practice for a variety of reasons. Um, one of them being, I think, just diversity and collaboration, you know, that really a unique client's needs could be met by somebody specific on our staff because we have a variety of providers. Because I think that each each individual client has individual needs. But I also just didn't, you know, private practice is so isolating that I didn't want to do that alone. And I get a lot of energy, I think, from like thinking through cases with other people. So I always wanted to be a group practice. And we have a variety. We have um, a few LCPCs or LCSWs. And then most people are actually um, 
LPCs, so newer grads, um, that we actually, you know, I know that people sometimes have the opinion that they won't hire an LPC unless they, um, like have the experience, but we kind of are like, oh, we want to train our own people to be excellent in these certain ways. So, and everybody, mm-hmm. regardless of their licensure status, is actually a W-2 employee, just as we, as like a company, try to take some ownership over caring for them, essentially. Got it. So every, so every therapist, although they could be a contractor, they're actually all W-2 employees. Exactly. Yep. So we just want to kind of make it a place, you know, I, um, for a while now have been kind of describing it to our therapists as like, we're actually a clinician first practice, meaning if we take care of our clinicians well, they actually will take care of their clients well. So we really are a client first practice, but kind of through, uh, through the lens that like my staff is the most important people to me at any point in yeah. time. Yeah. 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 It's very much the, uh, oxygen, put the oxygen on yourself first and then, and then you take care of the clinicians and then the clinicians are taken care of, then they can help their clients breathe. <laughs> yeah. That's that clinician. That's really fascinating because as I've interacted with private practice owners like you, there is so much burnout in agency life that, um, you know, people come to private practices, the ones that at least I've served and like yours, it just completely burned out. They're like you, you know, they're expected to see 30 clients a week. And it's like, like, that's not always sustainable for the human being, like them as humans. <laughs> uh, so what a great place that you can like nurture them. And I'm, and, and that would also, I imagine foster like long-term, like there's not maybe as much turnover um, in your practice. I don't know if you would agree with this, Brent, but I, from my perspective, I do think that it pays off for me as a business owner in the long term because of um, retention of employees or the fact that like their caseload builds up and they maintain it and their clients are like, yeah, I love my therapist because she seems like she has her or his life okay and in order, you know, yeah. like, yeah. um, so I do think that although it can be a little bit more of like an expensive model to provide benefits and to take care of your staff and stuff, I think that at my perspective being three or four years into it at this point, four years into it at this point in time is it does actually pay off for me. Oh, that's great. I, I love, can you share some of the, what are some of the benefits that you offer to your W2 employees then? Yeah. So we, um, so we marketing is actually a benefit of ours. We we kind of see that someone has at least half their caseload filled by two months um, mm-hmm. in the practice. Awesome. Yeah. Um, the billing and intake support staff. So actually, my um, you may I don't know if you actually know my sister, Aubrey. She runs all of our operations, including our yeah. intake team and stuff like I that. Once. Yeah. She's great. But like her support services on like. How do we manage your calendar and some of those really practical things, but then also like an insight into billing and she's basically HR extraordinaire. Um, yeah. We offer education stipends um, where basically an allotted amount is given to them for the year to spend on whatever advanced trainings they want. We uh, regularly put just like books and library material. And then we actually this year added medical benefits to those who are wow. based on our definition, full-time employees. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to know. So what's, what's kind of the definition of your full-time employees? And, uh, is it, I mean, I would imagine just knowing the cost of medical insurance, like it probably isn't like the gold platinum plan, but at least it's something I would imagine that provides support for them. Am I right? (laughs) 
it doesn't leave them uh you know well i think that me as a business owner i actually went for about three plus years without insurance and brent i started to have dreams about it i started to have nightmares that i would wake up in the hospital after being there for two weeks and i was like this is uh a problem and obviously we can kind of laugh about it because it's humorous in some ways but I think knowing that I experienced that, I don't want other people to have experienced that, you know, Mm, Um, because it can be a very vulnerable place. But for us, um, so part time for someone to come on with us part time, we do actually ask that they build and then maintain 15 clinical hours on average in a weekly basis, which can look like maybe 20 clients. Um, But for full time, we say 25 or more clinical hours on average in a weekly basis. So we kind of track things. Weekly, monthly, um, quarterly, we kind of track some different stuff. But for our employees, we ask, um, we do it on a weekly basis. Okay. Yeah, that's really helpful because I have some clients who are thinking about providing some health insurance and just like, well, let's do the numbers. Like, let's run the numbers and see if they make sense. Now, as far as marketing, uh, thank you. That was a really helpful conversation. There's just, I, I have my own questions and you're helping answer them for me. <laughs> for as far as marketing, um, what role do you play in that now? Uh, your uh aubrey and um maybe your clinicians like kind of what's expected of them as far as marketing goes well whenever we hire somebody we describe it as a the more you put in usually the more you get out of it Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. to encourage their own engagement around that and some you know, I don't know if you've ever read the book um to be a wealthy therapist which is a book that i totally read um, with the cover down because I was ashamed <laughs> by the title. I was, you know, I was always kind of like, but she talks about um, marketing towards like you as a person. So if you're an introvert who doesn't want to talk to people, maybe you should focus on digital material. Or if you're extroverted, maybe you should go meet with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so my role now um, is essentially, I only see two to four clients on a weekly basis and all my other time is spent um maybe collaborating with therapists around what can you be doing, um, helping people like think up and even sometimes record a video for a blog, um, which is an expectation that they have upon hire is that they get added to the blog schedule. Um, What else? And then paying for and maintaining Google AdWords, which I could do a better job at if I'm honest. (laughs) Well, if it's working for you at the moment, that's good. (laughs) I like to be spending a lot less money on it than if I were to like really hone it in, but it like haunts me in the back of my mind. I Google AdWords is always calling out to me and I'm like, oh man. Yeah. I, yeah. I got about, because I manage for other people, I got Google ads. They're calling six, seven times a week. And I'm like, I lose money every time I talk to you guys. Thank you for your, pro-. you know, I was like, I just can't do it anymore. There's just, it's, it's, it's changed. So, uh, before I just go down that rabbit hole of Google ads, um, Let's see, like, what are some of the initiatives? I imagine we were talking back, you had some really interesting initiatives about reaching out um, lower income families and those types of things. Are, are you still pursuing that now? They're still kind of in the middle of the pandemic or what is that? How is that taking shape at the moment? Honestly, Brent, this is one of the things I feel most proud about. Um, like, it makes me kind of emotional to talk about it, but we it's kind of been in the works for a long time, but we basically launched our training and outreach program through Optimum Joy. So some of the clinicians that are on st- on that are um, seeing clients, they're not on staff, they're seeing clients in the practice mm-hmm. are like advanced clinical interns doing their basically clinical rotations. And through them, we actually have them, half of their caseload is dedicated to some type of reduced or sliding scale fee. 
um, which has been really nice. important in the pandemic. And um, that was, and then half of it is actually kind of towards maybe more of a private practice population, so that they can basically pay for um, supervision and other costs associated with having them. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just always been really important to me knowing that mental health can, in a way, be um, a resource that's unaccess- unaccessible to people who, if you don't have insurance, if you just can't pay full price out of pocket, if you live in certain communities, just all kinds of things that will um, essentially cut them out of being able to to be mentally and emotionally well. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, just thinking the, the mental toll that this is taking on. Um, uh, and now let's see, we're recording this in July, but for a handful of the private practices that I support, June, the intakes were just flooding in. Once phase three opened, it's like, help, help, help. And then a lot of them are like, I don't even want to do telehealth. I need to come in and talk to a human being because they were just so isolated, which opens up a whole nother, you know, category of issues as private practice owners about safety and face mask. I mean, it's just unprecedented, unprecedented. You know, I wonder if we're a little different being in the city of Chicago than the suburbs, because I've noticed in the suburbs, there's more of a rush back to in person, whereas in the city, we yeah. are still essentially 99%. And part of it, I think, is not necessarily safety as much as um, people are working from home. Mm-hmm. So not yeah. as many people live in the loop, but they commute in every day. And, and we see a lot of daytime appointments because people will pop over from work. But I think that we're seeing that people are wanting to stay virtual right now because yeah. of some of those dynamics. So Yeah, well, I'm getting ready to have a conversation with a uh, friend, David Norton who's been in the private practice world for years, and he's putting out some really fascinating com- uh, uh, material on telehealth. Will insurance companies reimburse telehealth still after the government, ma- you know, it's so, <laughs> more change, more transition. Um, okay, so let me ask, let's see here. Let me ask this question. Okay, yes, if someone is starting a private practice or contemplating as starting a private practice, what's kind of like the one marketing or branding piece of advice you'd love for them to take with them? You know, I think that, um, first of all, I think it's like the easiest and hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. Um, from my experience, <laughs> you know, um, but I think that my experience around what we've seen in our marketing is that the more you can kind of let a little bit of your personhood shine through, um, the more people actually resonate with that. And, you know, uh, the field of counseling and therapy has come a long way from essentially our father, Freud who was behind a couch. There's only one person in the room. Um, I don't really exist. The client is the only one that exists. And now there is, it seems in the field, more of an acknowledgement that obviously you need to be ther- like therapeutically oriented towards the client, but it is two people in the room now and you actually make up part of that dynamic. So I think sometimes in a way that um, is clinically responsible um, and therapeutic, it's, it's good to kind of think through what are parts of me and my development journey that I am willing to, in some ways, make known, because that actually does attract people. There's like a genuineness mm. and a authenticity that I think is attractive to people. And um, there's a variety of reasons why we could say that that would actually maybe work. But I, in my experience, we've really been successful in that way. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And um and use the use of video is so powerful to actually be able to communicate that 
kind of yourself through video. And the more you kind of get used to being comfortable in video, <laughs> um, the more that's going to come through. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Man, thank you so much for joining me on this. If people want to find out more about you, Optimum Joy, like where should they go? Yeah, well, I think a great place. So we, um, our blog is pretty robust and people follow us on Instagram just at, at Optimum Joy and it's O-P-T-I-M-U-M Joy. Uh, but really our website, Optimum Joy Clinical Counseling, is the best place just to kind of figure out who we are, our therapists on staff, even if you're like a private practice owner who wants to know um, maybe how to structure some of those different things from a web presence. I think that that's a really great place to go. Honestly, you originally built our website, Brent, so it's functioning <laughs> well. Um, I've been able to like maintain it for the most part myself and like kind of grow some of that. But every once in a while, Brent gets a call from me that's just like, yeah. help me. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I would say the website and then our Instagram is the best place. Good. Oh, thank you so much. This has been really fun to actually reconnect, have a conversation. Really proud of you. I mean, what you're doing is some great work and man, you have just grown, grown, grown. So thank you for joining us. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. If you have found this conversation useful, please join me again next time for the Brand Your Practice podcast. We'll see you. Thanks.